Going Linux episode 316, listener feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you're new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in Going Linux. We hope that you'll find this and all of our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done. If you want, you can send us feedback at our email address, goinglinks at gmail.com, or you can call our voicemail at 1-904-468-7889. And as I've already said in today's episode, listener feedback. Hey, Bill. Hey, Larry. How are you? Just wonderful. It's a little bit wet here in Southern California, as you know. (laughs) (laughs) But other than that, uh, things are going well. How about you? It's going well. Uh, of course, um, it, we didn't record it. But Larry had to listen to me gripe and whine about a small laptop that was given to me. It's an Asus 205T and my efforts to get Linux installed. And of course, Larry being Larry found an article that if I had found it, I would have been able to go to bed a lot earlier. <laughs> Well, you haven't like, tried it yet, Bill. Who knows whether it's going to work or not? We'll see. <laughs> yeah, but uh, just I'm putting out there, I hate, hate Secure Boot. I yeah. just hate it, hate it. Well, but, there are a few other things on this particular uh, netbook, I guess you might describe it as, uh, that that make you uh, pull your hair out and... Make me crazier? Yes, it's just not, it's designed not to have Linux on it. Let's put it that way. It's it's not just not designed for Linux. It's designed against Linux. I think. Yeah, and and believe me, I'm sitting there and I just want to, about uh, two o'clock this morning, I just wanted to chuck it out the window. But uh, yeah, and now, what was it, it's... what was it you told me about your, your, uh, um, your next laptop that you purchase uh, will be a System 76. <laughs> <laughs> Something with Linux pre-installed, yes. Yeah, because uh, as I told you earlier, uh, I have finally rid myself of the necessity for Windows. Yes. I don't need it anymore for work or anything like that because they changed how um, how they adre- uh, uh, address uh, the paperwork, which what they went to, I don't know if they are using a, a company, but now it's it's everything's accessed by uh, from the web browser, mm-hmm. and as long as it's you know Chrome works fine, um, and uh, Net uh, or Firefox, I always want to call it Netscape, <laughs> but mm-hmm. Firefox works fine. But you know what doesn't work fine? There's What's two that? browsers, and I'll give you one guess. Who makes these browsers that do, they have problems with? Uh, let's see. They both start with uh, the word internet of some sort. Um, <laughs> they have a blue logo. And, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, actually, you're partially right. Uh, internet Explorer has issues, <laughs> which that's no, nothing new. The other one is Microsoft Edge, so right. it doesn't start with Explorer. Right, okay. Uh, but Edge does not work. And it's like, and they actually tell you, if you're having problems, 
using this web, uh, the website because now everything's done online. It's I mean it's like they can update the documentation. So if they if they want to switch the document or they want to update the document or policies or whatever, it, they just push the update through and it affects and everybody has it. Yeah. No one has to install any software. If you've got an internet connection and a browser type of thing they do, everything's cloud-based. Yes, exactly. And and more and more you know, businesses are going to cloud-based software, in part because of the fact that you don't need anything other than a functional browser uh, to, to have it work. And there's an argument to be made that Internet Explorer and Microsoft Edge are not functional browsers. So, <laughs> Well, um, I was talking to an IT guy about the update because uh, the company I work for merged with another company. So they apparently the old other company used this and but my company the company that uh, was absorbed into this new one mm -hmm. um, if apparently if uh, when they went to this it saved them money because every computer that accessed it they had to have the licensed software and they had to uh, up, update it and and there was demands that uh, you know you have corporate pricing and you know they, but they didn't want to uh, uh, be forced in because they were using windows um, eight eight I think mm -hmm, it was mm -hmm. and they um, the IT people, because, you know, it, the big corporations, they don't allow you just to update your the OS. You has to go through all these security. Oh, uh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that was an issue, and they just didn't want to pay, keep paying these licensing fees. So now it doesn't matter if you're running Linux, Mac, or whatever. You can As long as you can access the Internet and you can and have, like, Chrome or or Firefox or you know whatever, um, you can get all your work done. Yeah, exactly. So so that that save in the long run. Now, I don't know how how the 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 model is for like Salesforce or the other companies. I think Oracle does something like that too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but there's they pay a, a flat fee or something. Yeah, there's generally it's a subscription fee that they pay. Uh, but for, it works out cheaper. Yeah, a yeah. lot because they're not paying that because you know. That well, they don't. Have, yeah, the licensing is much less expensive, and yes, you don't have one license depending on another. Like you know, if if you buy uh, so many Windows uh, licenses, you get Microsoft Office for this ridiculously low price, and. And that sort of thing to kind of try to lock you in when you're using cloud-based software. They integrate together, but they're not critically dependent on one another. So if you decide that for your uh, word processing or spreadsheet or whatever you need to do, you're going to use Google Docs or you're going to use uh, even the Microsoft products that are online, uh, which tend to be very expensive by the time you try to license those, um, you can still get all your work done without having to pay all those license agreements. And it, what I've noticed is that the Google Docs versions of the Office products don't cause as many problems when trying to convert them to LibreOffice, or even mm -hmm. to the desktop versions of Microsoft Office, with the possible exception of 
PowerPoint, which is the presentation software. So, yeah. you know, there's always some problem there with formatting and things like that. And, and I don't know what it is about the Microsoft products, but those are the ones that always give you the problem. Yeah, it seems to. But uh, now everything is done to the web browser and, um, and everybody is pretty happy with it. It seems it's never down. You know, if the laptop breaks, you just grab another laptop. Right. <laughs> and, I mean, it's nice because no software. But from a security standpoint, it's even secure because um, you're not, you don't have, if, if you're writing a memorandum that's like just for the uh, company uh, you know, has company information that you don't want everybody to access to, um, unless you have your password and, and can get on that website, it doesn't matter if someone steals your laptop, they're not getting anything. Right. Exactly. Yep. As long as, you know, the website that they're using is locked down and secure and they're hashing and salting all their passwords and they're requiring good passwords and all that other good stuff. That oh yeah. It secure. It's like, the, it's, you have to have a capital letter, you have to have, it has to be yeah, yeah. at least six, and you have to have a number in there. And, and a, a character from a Chinese keyboard or yeah. something. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I, and unfortunately, I forgot my password to assign, and I had to go through uh, IT to get another one. Mm -hmm. uh, if, you, if it doesn't see activity yes. for 15 or 20 minutes, it logs you out. Right. But if you enter, I think they got it set with, you enter your password three times inaccurately. Mm -hmm. It locks you out for 30 minutes. If you enter it again three times inaccurately, it locks the account. <laughs> and then right. you have to call IT and say, I broke it. Yep. Well, as so, long as yeah. you can trust the company providing the service, the software, mm -hmm. as a service, um, I think uh, you're probably in good shape. Yeah. By the way, just a disclaimer, this show is not supported by... Uh, Oracle or uh, Salesforce. So, but if you want to send us lots of money for pushing your products, we'll take it. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that was a joke, folks. Yep. <laughs> we won't sell our souls well. Maybe we will if they give me enough money. Okay. Better move on. Anyway, shall we uh, move on to our feedback? Yeah. Okay. Well, the first one is from Michael. And Michael wrote, Hi, Larry and Bill. How do I burn a copy of Sonar Linux to a DVD in Windows 10? I ask because currently my HP laptop is running only Windows 10. The computer volunteer I had who took my computer away with him to completely reinstall Windows so I could run the screen reader and VDA without being slowed by lots of junk programs on it, he was going to dual boot Windows and Sonar Linux. He completely reinstalled Windows to make it faster for me to use. He reconfigured the boot menu so that Sonar could be run as a live DVD, so I could test it on my laptop with the aim of installing it if it hadn't been installed. However, he was unable to install Sonar from the disk he made at the time due to a bug in the installer, which wasn't fixed due to Kendall being under a lot of pressure due to emails like Windows works with such and such an app, Sonar doesn't, or whatever pressure he and the Sonar team were under when the version of Sonar was released. I am still not sure if I will dual boot Windows and Linux. Admittedly, Windows 10 
does appear to run better and quicker with a screen reader like NVDA, apart from being nagged to upgrade to the paid version of CCleaner. And for some reason, I keep being asked if I want to use Thunderbird as my default email program, even though I've repeatedly gone to the system settings to control panel to make it default to Thunderbird as mail doesn't give me speech feedback with NVDA when I'm typing emails. Maybe due to this accessibility problem I heard about with Windows 10 and anything that requires dum 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 edge. <laughs> I may I may be used to know how to burn a DVD in Windows, but it has been a good few years since I last used Windows for my personal use. And also things could have changed since the last release of Windows 10. Well, Michael, and as you've probably surmised from the way Michael describes things, he is a blind computer user and struggling with Windows 10. Okay, so we have provided Michael with a link to burning an ISO. Uh, it's from the Ubuntu community. Uh, and it includes how to burn an ISO image to a bootable media, whether it's CD, DVD, or USB. And they describe it for not just Linux, but Mac and Windows as well. That's probably the best article that I've come across that describes how to do this from multiple operating systems. I've got a suggestion. Um, the program is freeware. It's called ImageBurn. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, it's, uh, I do not know if it's screen, it should be screen reader uh, uh, accessible. Right. But uh, it, uh, it's a small little program. It's like less than a meg. Yeah. <laughs> and it's got, it's very simple. You, um, you install, you uh, download the program, you can do a search on Google and you'll find it. It's, it's called ImageBird, I-M-G, and then Burn, uh, all together. And it works perfectly. I've used it when I had to make uh, ISOs. It, you just uh, put your blank into your drive. Uh, you pick the image and say uh, burn ISO to disk. And it does everything. It does error correct, error checking. And and it's got, you know, it's fast and it's free. And it works really well. So I don't know. Um, but, you know, I started getting hives when he said Windows 10. I was like, oh. <laughs> I know. And then he said Edge. So, yeah, thank you. Welcome to my world. I... <laughs> but, no, uh, is the, the uh, NVDA, is that, that's open source, isn't it? I don't know. Um, I haven't looked into it. I think it might be, but I'm not oh, absolutely okay. sure. I know the one that uh, he was using on Windows prior to that, JAWS, is not. Anything but, um, and so NVDA is is one of those that is is definitely an alternative to JAWS. I haven't seen it or used it in any way, so I can't speak about it. But from the way he's describing it, it sounds like there's a few upgrades and nagging screens and things like that. Unless it was the the Windows related ones that he was referring to. Yeah, it's yeah, JAWS uh, um, is so expensive. Mm -hmm. That it's just it's ridiculous. I think last time we looked, it was like what seven hundred bucks for for just and then it was yeah like or an or more and, and more. unless wow. you got a you know d discount as a result of a government program which gives it to you for a much more reasonable price, you had to pay that that uh, 
Plus taxpayers are paying for it. Of course, yes. So but, we're yeah, all okay. paying for it. Yeah, it's but it, there's no reason that that software should be that expensive. But um, maybe that will help him out. Uh, I I don't know anything about NVDA. I'll have to look it up after the show just to be curious um, and see what it's about. But yep. I hope that helps him a little bit. Yep. And Image Burn is the one that the Ubuntu article recommends for Windows oh, as well. Okay. So there you go. I mean, I actually got it right. Wow. Okay, yeah. moving right along. Well, our next one comes from David, and it's a rather long one, so we're breaking this one up into different uh, sections so we can handle it together. Yep. Okay, he writes, Hi, Larry. Hi, Bill. Greetings from our expat Canadian fan in Israel and loyal listeners since episode number one. That being said, you may have covered this issue on a show, so please excuse me if I have forgotten. In any case, I have Googled this issue and have not found a straightforward answer, so I am turning to you, no longer being of a geek persuasion, and I'm just wanting to get things done. <laughs> I would appreciate your guidance and advice and think that others may wish to hear this discussed on your show. A long subject, but I'll try to make it succinct as possible. Feel free to answer me in stages. <laughs> he got us pegged. Okay, here's the situation. I am running on a desktop Mint 18.1 Cinnamon on an SSD drive with two partitions other than swap, the boot, and a separate partition mounted as slash home. I created this myself by adding a line to the ECT slash FSTAB. It is running perfectly, and I am the only user on the machine. I am. I now wish to add two more physical hard drives to the system and wish them to be integrated as seamlessly as possible. I do not wish to get fancy or use LVM, but seamlessly I mean that I want immediate unencumbered access to the data and that it appears on Nemo under my computer. I do not wish any changes to be made to my first existing drive. So continuing on... David outlines issue number one. From what I understand, I am told to format the new drive to ext4 using gparted from a live CD, and then, in the same way as I created access to the separate slash home partition, find the UUID of the new drive, uh, sudo blkid, and add a line in the etsyfs tab with a mount point within the slash media, for example, slash media slash store one. Then do a sudo make directory for the mount point and then sudo mount dash a. I have read that it is possible to create a mount point within slash home. How will it show under Nemo in either case? Note, depending on how long until you write me back, I may know myself via experimentation as, a pl as I plan to get the drives this week, which is preferable. Uh, for instance, if all my videos are on the new hard drive, I it would be nice that Nemo heading videos point there. However, I do not want the drive to be just for videos. To do this, must I create a link via Nemo to the folder on the new drive and put the drive into the video folder in my home? Will this work? Again, your guidance and opinion would be greatly appreciated in implementing this 
as straightforwardly as possible. Editing FSTAB is already a bit much. I can, of course, operate with the new uh, hard drive listed as a separate device, according to Nemo, but it would be nicer if when I go to videos, for example, all my videos are accessible from there, no matter their physical location. So let's just address the uh, installing additional new hard drives on a Linux machine. So we're going to include an article that we've talked about before from System76 on setting up a second hard drive. And this applies to any Linux, not just Ubuntu that comes pre-installed on System76. And it, of course, applies to any Linux installed on any hardware. So it's a generic sort of article, even though it's provided by the folks at System76. And I followed these instructions for adding an additional hard drive to my machine, and it's worked just fine. As far as where to mount it, uh, certainly you can mount in uh, slash media. Uh, you can mount in other locations as well. Uh, and I think for average day-to-day -day use, mounting it in slash home might be better. Uh, and yes, you can create links to the, the various locations uh, in the second hard drive from the home directory on your existing machine. That's one way to do it. Uh, it requires, as we've discussed, I think it was in the last listener feedback episode for somebody else, that would really require you click through uh, an extra click to get there. There are other ways to mount it as well. That might be more preferable for you since it's a desktop machine and these these uh, drives are being mounted permanently. Uh, you might want to go the route of editing FSTAB to do that, which would eliminate the need for creating the shortcuts. It would be there, it would be mounted every time, and you would have access to that. Any thoughts, Bill? You've added multiple drives, right? Of course, and my answer to that is 42. There, you're done. <laughs> That's the answer to everything in life. No, uh, I just want to also just point out, he says I'm not a geek. Yeah, he's pretty geeky. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he's he's saying that he's not a geek anymore. Yeah, well, he's, he's become geekless over time. So, well, I, well apparently it's pretty geeky. I'm sitting here, okay, I'm adding it to FSTAB and yeah, yeah. Etsy, and it's like, oh, come on, David, you're you're <laughs> that's you're you're being funny now, but no, you're you're a geek and you're gonna stay a geek. Mm -hmm. Okay, so no, I think you covered that um, pretty uh, thoroughly. So of course, uh, David, being David, has issue number two. Mm -hmm. Go we for love it. David because he really writes. <laughs> he's he's really writes well. Okay, issue number two. I am thinking of also getting a third hard drive. On this one, I plan two partitions: one for data, i.e., same story as issue number one, but the other as an alternate boot, not as a dual boot, but controlled via BIOS on which to drive to go to the first. The system will also ha be Mint 18.1 for now, linked exactly the same to the other drives, i.e. same dash, uh, same home directory, etc. Its purpose is to do any upgrade, especially to future versions, and as a hot backup, once burnt, twice shy. <laughs> okay. 
Okay, yeah, well, well, for me, it's more like once burnt and 17,000 times shy. Anyway, um, is this smart? If so, how do I install uh, there without accidentally affecting my existing system? I can simply go inside my box and unplug the power cable to the physical hard drive, but prefer not. I am always scared of pins being bent. Thanks so much for your help and for the very hard work the two of you do to produce and present your great podcast. It is much appreciated. Best test, David, your number one expat Canadian and Israel fan. Now, uh, Larry, is there any way that maybe he can simplify this by maybe using a program like being able to, like, uh, what's the, oh boy, not enough coffee this morning, what's the program that uh, oh, Clonezilla, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Clonezilla. Couldn't, couldn't he just, he, once he has the system up and running, couldn't he just manually use Clonezilla to copy it and just yeah that way? Yeah, so you could do that for sure, especially since he's going to be um, booting into that third hard drive from the BIOS. You could make a, uh, a complete backup of whatever partitions you have um, using Clonezilla and just copy them over to or clone them over to the new drive provided it's big enough well he said it was if he, he said it was going to be set up exactly like the yeah the other one so it would probably have to be the same size because he said he was going to set up the drive the same way one for right. data as you know and when in the first issue, but he also said uh, he won't be using it as the boot he just wants to be able to something happens to uh, his uh, first hard drive, he wants to be able to just uh, unplug it and plug the, the backup drive in and be right back where he was. Right, right. Um, the other thing he said was that he planned on having this boot from the third hard drive, but using the same home directory. Oh, wow. Okay, so that makes a little different wrinkle. So you could clone it, but then you would end up having to blow away the home partition that's on the clone and then repoint it over to the original home partition. If you're using this as a hot backup, you're only getting a backup of your uh, operating system in doing that because you've got a single copy of your data, but I'm assuming you're going to back that up somewhere else. So let's assume that's the case. Um, we will include, rather than try to go through this in detail, because it is a little bit geeky, there's some editing you can do to the FS tab to repoint your home directory from where it is when, your, uh, when you initially install the Linux Mint, in his case, and repoint it over to the second or first hard drive, wherever that is. Mm -hmm. um, and... Again, you can edit some things in FSTab to make that happen, and it's a little lengthy to try to explain verbally, so we'll provide a link to an article on how to do that. And again, this is part of the Ubuntu documentation, but for those of you not using Ubuntu and in a similar sort of situation, this will work with other distributions of Linux as well. Yeah. You know, David comes up with some wild stuff good stuff yeah absolutely good stuff <laughs> I, I mean the 
I, I'm impressed, and I, I just think it's funny. He says, I'm not a geek anymore. Uh, <laughs> you're a geek. And so let's see, he's got what, he wants to run like, what, four or five hard drives, wants to point them to different places, and come on, Dave, you you have plenty of geek cred. Yeah, you know? there you go. And um, congratulations, you are our number one expat Canadian in Israel fan. Yes, absolutely. Um, you may be the only one, but <laughs> that makes you number one. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, Thanks, Dave. So, so David um, actually sent back another email. He says, "P.S. I jumped to the gun and have installed the two drives, okay. so he's got them installed." For your information, as per issue number one, putting a drive under slash home doesn't seem to work, so I installed it under slash media. Uh, links, soft links worked. I just have to remember that backing up, copying, or sending links doesn't actually use the data, just the pointer. Also had to do permissions using the C-H-O-W-N command for the new directories. Okay, sounds like you covered most of that. But if you want to get rid of those soft links, you might want to take a look at that article that we described. Um, he continues, as per the second issue, I created the partition, but will await your advice before deciding if and when to actually do it. May wait for Linux Mint 19. Well, now I feel a little bit bad because we received this email back in December. And this, uh, yeah, and this listener feedback, even though we're recording this in January, is, is coming out in February. So, you know, Linux Mint 19 isn't out yet, is it? <laughs> but, well, hopefully he's going to wait for Linux Mint. I don't 19. use it, so I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, he continues. By the way, I use disks in Linux Mint to set up the partitions and format the drives rather than gparted from Live CD. Comments. Yeah, disks works very differently from gparted, but I've used both, and for some things, disk is much simpler. For other things, gparted gives you a lot more control, and I find it a little easier to see what I'm doing. But you can do everything in disks that you can do in gparted and vice versa. It's just a matter of knowing how they work, and they work very, very differently from one another. So disks comes with Linux Mint, it comes with Ubuntu, comes with Ubuntu Mate, comes on many um, distributions. gparted typically is something that you need to install from the repositories. It's usually there in the Debian-based installers uh, when you're doing the installation to give you a tool to partition your hard drive as you're installing. But then after you've finished the installation and reboot into the permanent installation, gparted isn't installed unless you um, install it separately, at least typically on some distributions. I know they provide it out of the box. Well, David, you the man. Okay, moving right along. Yep, okay. <laughs> Golly me. I tell you, uh, someone, he's pretty smart for someone who claims not to be a geek. Yep, there you go. So after a very long email from David, let's go to the classic Tony email. Very, very short. Okay, so we go from long to really short. But we like both of them. So Tony wrote on Google+. I want to know how to burn my favorite YouTube videos to a DVD disc. <laughs> okay. That's what, I mean, that, that's what he wrote. All right, Tony. So first of all, you need a way of getting those YouTube videos in a format that allows you to access them as a file. So you want to use something called, um, 
YouTube-DL. It's a command line program that allows you to download a YouTube video, provided that you have access to the path. Um, so you go to the video and in the URL bar of your browser, you just copy that. And in the command line, so in a, open a terminal and uh, type, once you've got the program installed, you type YouTube-DL space and then paste in the path to the YouTube video. And it will download that video as a video file onto your hard drive. That's step number one. Step number two is to use a program like Bracero, which comes on your Ubuntu um, and probably Linux Mint, if I remember correctly, but it's Ubuntu's default DVD burner for, for sure. We'll have a link in the show notes on how to use Bracero to burn a movie in DVD format. So once you have the file from YouTube, you can use those instructions to do what it is you're asking in your very short post uh, <laughs> how to do it. Well, that seems like that's only, what, a two-step process? That's not bad. Yeah, well, there are two things to do. But, yeah, uh, but yeah and it's uh, pretty straightforward. it is very straightforward. Okay. Okay, and our last feedback is from Google Plus as well. Uh, Chandra wrote, cheers from Singapore. After some long thought, two days, I installed Linux Mint XFCE on my five-year-old Toshiba laptop dual boot with Windows 7. It is awesome. Awesome in all caps. I like it very much though I've had very little experience, and I'm only an occasional user of Ubuntu and Fedora at the office. It is not as cool as the Mint desktop, but it works fast and well on my old laptop. I like the app-like application installation. 100% happy. By the way, I'm a longtime listener of this podcast on my BlackBerry 10 phone. Whoa. I like your show. I wish to see more on Fedora and OpenSUSE in 2017 on your show. Finally, I made this post, and I'm motivated by Mint. Thanks again for your great show. Well, thanks, and what do you think, Bill? Well, your wish is our command, because I am now working on installing OpenSUSE Tumbleweed on my main machine, now that I no longer need that nasty W. So... Larry, I might as well just document my journey. <laughs> okay, so maybe in the next episode? What do you think? Uh, maybe, maybe. Maybe, depending I, on how quickly yeah. you get it done, right? Yeah, you know, uh, like I said, I, I've got everything set. Trey, as soon as we're done, I'm going to get some coffee and breakfast, and then we'll sit up here and and blow away the, the nasty evil W. No, seriously, get rid of Windows and installing OpenSUSE. i got everything burnt, ready to go. So, uh, yeah, I'll I'll keep track and let you know how it went so you make sure I didn't have a lot of pain and misery. Yeah, we'll, I'll let you know how it goes with OpenSUSE. Yeah, that sounds exciting. We'll have some uh, RPM yeah. content, yeah. and we've had some yeah. requests for that, for sure. So. Yeah, because yeah, we, we do a lot of... Uh, we, we're almost exclusively <laughs> Debian, because you run... Uh, Ubuntu Mate. And I'm running Ubuntu on my second drive. Yeah. So yeah, we we, you know, in the past, our past shows, you know, we've just kind of gravitated toward the Debian side. Not that we have anything against Fedora or OpenSUSE. Right. We talk about um, what we know. Yeah. So you know, it, it's probably a good thing. It kind of 
fill in some of the gaps and we'll see how it, uh, it works. But have you read anything about that uh, uh, the tumbleweed, uh, uh, open, open tumbleweed, how it works? No, I haven't. So I'm kind of interested to see what your experiences will be as well. Yeah, apparently it's it's a it's a rolling release. Yeah, and that's so what I understand. Just, yeah. So you never ha it, it just you can just update it and you don't have to reinstall it like you do uh Ubuntu or um well, you know, you can upgrade Ubuntu, but you know, you can do it they recommend just backing up your data and nuke and paving as I like to call it. Yeah. So so yeah, I'm I'm anxious to see now. Doesn't Arch have something like this too, where it's uh, like a rolling or I, what? Which one of those? Uh, which one of the distros has where it's a rolling release? Besides, uh, you remember? Yeah, I think um, Linux Mint has a rolling release version, or they used to. I was on that mm -hmm. for a little bit. Um, maybe Fedora does. I I'm not. I haven't looked into a lot of the. Uh, rolling releases, but I've I've mm -hmm. heard about several distributions giving you the ability to do that. I think even Debian, you can make it into kind of a pseudo rolling release sort of thing. So if you mm -hmm. set up your repository, so instead of pointing at a specific version of Debian, like Jesse or whatever it is, instead of naming it yeah. by name, if you put it on latest or on testing, uh, it oh, will, okay. as as the various versions become testing and then move on to stable, um, your let's assume you're you've you've got your repositories pointed at stable. As the next version becomes stable and the older version becomes deprecated, uh, you will get your updates to the most recent stable version, whether the you know regardless of what the the name of that version is. So. By doing that, you kind of get a rolling release, uh, and okay. that works as well. So there are, as you said, OpenSUSE specifically has a, a version, a distribution that they have for rolling release, as do several other distributions out there. Okay, cool. All right, so I think that pretty much brings us to the end of this uh, episode. Yeah, and for our next episode, if you've got any content on switching over to OpenSUSE, we'll, we'll cover that and maybe a few other things because it will be a user experience episode. And you're a user, and that would definitely be an experience. <laughs> what are you trying to say, Larry? <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> okay. Until then, you can go to our website at goinglinks.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. If you'd like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Links podcast Google Plus community. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73. Theme music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.